God, we invite you now to speak through your word. You've spoken, oh God, through the testimonies and stories of those who have said yes to you. You've spoken as we've uh, worshipped, as we sang. God, you've spoken uh, even in the community of faith and the fellowship that we have together as brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. So now as we open your word, we invite you to be near to us, to speak to us, to draw us near to yourself. In Christ's name, God's people together said, amen. Well, we continue our series Uh, snapshots, a study in the gospel of Luke. And this morning, it might as well be called snapshots, a study of Luke, study of Pastor Luke, because this passage this morning that we come to has me absolutely nailed. So I'm going to be talking a lot about myself this morning. (laughs) That's not entirely true. I'm not going to be talking all about me, but I'm going to be talking quite a bit about me. Because this passage just totally read me this week. You know, the Bible is the only book out there that will actually read you back. (laughs) You ever know that? We can read books, but the Bible will read you. And it did that for me this week. This passage has me written all over it. The personality type, the struggle, the behavior, the heart motivation, everything. This is me. So as I kind of walk us through my own personal journey with this text this week, I hope that you find some valuable lessons too. I hope that you find encouragement. I hope you find some useful tools that might help you rest in Jesus. Most importantly, uh, I hope you find ways to like walk in God's grace daily. But let's just put that caveat out there that this is is me talking about me because this passage absolutely read into the depths of my heart this week. We're going to rewind a little bit today to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Some of you might be thinking, I thought we were on chapter 19. You're right, we were. But we're taking a look at an interaction this week uh, that Jesus has with a couple of friends named Mary and Martha. And by way of another quick geography lesson, I want to tell you why we're rewinding from Luke 19 to Luke chapter 10. Look up here on the screen. Starting in Luke chapter 9, Jesus begins a journey from the region of Galilee in the north. It's like a province, right? So Galilee is in the north, and he's journeying down towards Jerusalem in the south. And if you're kind of going, gosh, I can't get my bearings right on this map. I don't know quite where everything is. Remember our huge camel from last week on the bottom. There he is again. You remember the camel, so you remember where we are. So, um, Jesus is journeying from Galilee in the north towards Jerusalem in the south, and Luke chapter 10 actually takes place in Galilee. Uh, but in, but or the context of Luke chapter 10 is Galilee. But in John's gospel, he tells us that Jesus' friends, Mary and Martha, actually lived in a tiny village two miles east and south of Jerusalem called Bethany. And this story of Mary and Martha is actually recorded in Luke chapter 10, and the context is Galilee. Clearly, Bethany is not in Galilee. Based on the geographic indicators that Luke gives us throughout his gospel, Jesus would have been close to Jerusalem and Bethany much later in life. Therefore, though this interaction took place, uh, or though this interaction with Mary and Martha is recorded in Luke 10, it likely did not take place in Galilee. It would have taken place in Bethany. And it would have taken place in Bethany just before Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time on a day we call Palm Sunday. We'll celebrate that next week. 
So just a quick side note, the Bible, in case you're wondering, is not a scientific textbook. It's not a transcript of like a play-by-play of a football game. It's not a newspaper, so it's not going to read like one. And so sometimes we assume that the Bible should be in chronological order, but it's not a chronological document. It's a theological document. It's making a case for who God is and for what he's like. So Luke, the gospel writer, isn't particularly concerned with putting his stories in chronological order. He's putting them in theological order. He's putting them in spiritual order. In other words, Luke makes a theological choice to include the story of Martha and Mary in chapter 10. We'll talk about why that is at some point. But for our purposes today, since we've been tracking this story of Jesus, tracking down from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south, we're rewinding in order to locate this particular interaction in Bethany, kind of where it should be chronologically. And what I want us to see, and why I kind of spend all that time doing that, I want us to see that this interaction with Mary and Martha is of extreme importance, get this, because Jesus knows his life is coming to a close. He's just about to enter Jerusalem for the last time. He's been journeying from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south, and he's been declaring his identity. He's been proving his identity through miracles and teaching. His disciples, his friends, have affirmed his identity. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, on this journey south, he starts to have this conversation. He says, let's talk about the implications of my identity. Now that you've affirmed that, what does that mean for you? How does that change your life? And the further south we go, the closer Jesus gets to the cross. Now he's just a couple of miles away from walking into Jerusalem for the very last time. So as I read Jesus' words to Martha here, I can almost hear the urgency in his voice. Please understand the significance. Please hear the weight. Jesus doesn't throw words around anyway, but even more so, he chooses his words wisely as the cross draws nearer. Hear him pleading with his followers and friends and his disciples to understand what's truly important and then prioritize accordingly. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 just as Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem, days away or or perhaps weeks away from entering Jerusalem for the last time. This is the interaction. Verse 38. Now as they, that's Jesus and his disciples, went on their way, Jesus entered a village, that's Bethany, where Mary and Martha lived. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. (laughs) That's funny. Telling Jesus what to do always works out great. Um, (laughs) Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Your sister has chosen the good portion. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So here's Jesus. He enters Martha's home on his journey towards Jerusalem in Bethany there. And Martha is the consummate hostess. You know this person. 
You have someone in your life that's just like Martha. She's the one that has people over to her house, or he's the one who has people over to his house that's always refilling beverages, always bringing a second helping of like a starch that you really don't need. Here, eat more carbs. You know, you don't... And that's what people do to me. They're like, hey, bring a piece of apple pie. There's more. There's plenty. I've got peach. I've got pumpkin. Like, this is Amy's grandmother. This is exactly how she works. She never sits down while we're over at her house. And there's always like 12 dessert options. It's like, why is there 12? But she just starts pulling them out. And there's always stuff. This is Martha. She's kind. She's generous. She's hospitable. But she's very busy. Mary, on the other hand, doesn't lift a finger. <laughs> She's just there to hang with Jesus. She sits with them and listens to him. And Martha gets frustrated with her sister and literally tells Jesus, make my sister help me. And Jesus, and we'll hear in a minute that Martha's tone is an accusatory tone. And Jesus takes a very tender tone in return. There's not a, a, a pop quiz at the end of this, but when he uses her name twice, it's called a double vocative in Greek. He says, Martha, Martha. In other words, picture Jesus taking Martha's face and pulling her near to him and saying, Martha, my friend, I love you. You're great, but you're serving your brains out. <laughs> and that's okay, but that's not best. It's good, but it's not great. Mary has chosen the best thing, the eternal thing, the good portion. When Jesus says the good portion, he's literally saying she's chosen the best meal, and it won't be taken from her. So we're going to get to what the good portion means here in a minute. But for now, we've got to understand that the message of this passage really hinges upon the contrast between Mary and Martha. These are different women. We're going to talk about their differences. They've got different attitudes, different motivations, different behaviors, different personality types. They are sisters. Uh, there were never such devoted sisters, right? Mary and Martha. That's, what is that? White Christmas? Is that what that is? I'm looking for that in my notes here. Um, it's not there. Mary and Martha, indeed, there were never such devoted sisters as Mary and Martha, but they're different. They're different. They're different people, different personality types, attitudes, and behaviors. And I just want to be straight with you. I would not have figured this out. I would not have seen this in the text if it wasn't for my help from a friend of mine named Joy. Joy Kwaipun is a training, our training director here at Bayview Glen. She's finishing up a double master's degree in Christian education and biblical studies, and she's absolutely brilliant. She is the sharpest tool in the shed. So as a staff, we kind of do a weekly devotional together, and a different staff person leads that devotional each time. So Joy, a couple of months ago, talked to us about Mary and Martha, talked about the differences between Mary and Martha, and what she had to say was, was so, so good and so, so rich. And as I thought about, you know what, I could try to say it the way Joy said it, but I'm not going to be able to pull it off. So I just said, hey, Joy, would you come up and share this stuff? And she said, sure. So Joy is going to come up and join me. Everybody say hello to Joy. So Joy, I'll grab a seat for you and you can grab that microphone on your way up. 
And joy is just going to help us understand a little bit of the differences between Mary and Martha and what exactly is going on in the text here, how, how we know uh, these two women are different and what their differences are. So let's start joy uh, with the way Martha and Mary are introduced in the text because Martha is introduced differently than most women are in the scripture. Not always, but most of the time they're introduced differently than Martha is. So talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, so usually in biblical narrative, when a female character is introduced, she's always introduced in relation to who her, her male relatives are. For example, she's introduced as someone's mother, as someone's wife, as someone's sister, or as someone's daughter. But the difference between um, the way Martha is introduced in this text is that the, the scripture immediately states her name, not in any relation to any male relative, and, and she is described as someone who's a, a homeowner, and she makes an independent decision to open her home to Jesus Christ. In contrast to that, Mary is introduced as someone related to Mary. So Mary is introdu introduced in a, in a very traditional way uh, in biblical narratives, but Martha is introduced in a very different way. Yeah. So. So it, likelihood is that Martha would have had money. She has her own home. She might have been an entrepreneur. This is a very independent uh, human being. And Mary, who's introduced as the sister of Martha in a traditional biblical, biblical way, is a really relational person. So kind of the first contrast that we're going to draw is that Martha's really independent and Mary is really relational. Uh, I, initially, when I wrote this down, I wrote that Martha is independent and Mary is dependent, but that would make Mary sound weak. She's not weak. In fact, she's quite strong because this would be really odd for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi and listen. Women were not allowed to do that. They were not encouraged to do that. Mary is turning some cultural norms on their head pretty seriously as well. But what we do notice is that Mary is relational when it comes to Jesus. She's sitting and just having a conversation with him, listening to him. She's related to her sister as, you know, she's introduced as Martha's sister. And Martha is just introduced kind of as this independent homeowning woman. There you go. Joy, what do we see these women doing in the text? It's interesting because when Martha is introduced in a non-traditional cultural way in the biblical text, yet we see her actions are totally traditional. She's serving and making a meal, which is what is expected culturally of a woman back in that day. She's supposed to be in the kitchen, busy making a meal and serving the men who are in her home. In contrast to that, even though uh, Mary was introduced in a very cultural and traditional way, she is seen doing something culturally shocking. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, something that women shouldn't be doing, instead of helping around in the house. So you see the total difference. One is very um, introduced traditionally, very culturally um, different, and yet she's doing something that is expected of all women, women serving. And yet here's her sister. She's introduced um, the way women are normally introduced, and yet she's busy sitting at the feet of Jesus. So it's a cultural shock. It's something that you wouldn't expect for yeah, that so time. Right? You, we, we talked about this this week. You said eyebrows kind of would have gone up right. as, as like, this oh, is happening. Oh, like, this is it's odd. It's very shocking for a woman to be sitting at the feet of 
a feet of a man and not just sitting. She's actually learning because Jesus was considered a rabbi. And he's teaching. He's teaching. She right. should be busy serving and preparing a meal. So it's very different. It was a shock. Yeah. So here's Martha and she's producing something. She's producing a meal. She's producing a hospitable environment. And Mary is receiving. She's receiving teaching. She's receiving instruction. So we'll draw that contrast too. Martha's a little more of a producer and Mary's a little more of a receiver. Martha is active, she's moving, she's busy, and Mary is still. She is what? Sitting. She's, sitting. she's not moving. All right, so now, now that we know how they're introduced and we know what they're doing and we've drawn some contrast there, t- talk to us about what each of these women are saying. Okay, it's interesting. In verse 40, Martha talks. She approaches Jesus because she gets all distracted with all this preparation and the meal. In her um, dialogue with Jesus, the first thing she says is, Lord, don't you care? So the first thing she does is she accuses Jesus that he doesn't care that she's the only one busy preparing the meal. (laughs) The second part of her dialogue was, tell her to help me. (laughs) So she's accusing Jesus that he doesn't care that she's the only one preparing the meal. And the second part of her dialogue was, tell her what to do. So she's accusing and she's telling Jesus what to do. In contrast to that, the whole time she's talking to Jesus about her sister Mary, guess where Mary is? She's right there. She's (laughs) saying nothing. So her beef was with Mary, but yet she doesn't address Mary um, straight away. She goes to Jesus and accuses him that he doesn't care. And so what does Mary say in the text? Nothing. Nothing. She's, she's quiet. She's never quiet. She never she speaks. Just, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So here's another contrast we're going to draw. Martha's a little more of a talker. We might even call her a blurter. All right? So she blurts out. She accuses Jesus. And then you tell my sister what to do. Tell her what to do. And Mary yeah. is a processor. She's quiet. She never speaks the entire time. So this last contrast, this is the part that I thought was particularly brilliant. This is why Joy's knowledge of kind of the entire Bible is really, really helpful. There's another occasion in John chapter 11 when Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, gets sick. Some of you have heard this story before of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Spoiler alert, that's what happens. Okay, so he gets sick and Jesus hears about it and he uh, kind of takes his time headed to Bethany to see his friend Lazarus and to help out with Lazarus falling ill. He takes another couple of days and he kind of lollygags and saunters and on his way, Lazarus dies. Lazarus uh, passes away. He goes to be with, well... I was going to say goes to be with the Lord. That's confusing. Okay, so (laughs) Lazarus dies. And so Jesus eventually shows up at Bethany and Martha kind of runs out to the road and addresses Jesus. In John 11, 32, uh, or John 11, 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, okay, I get that. That makes sense, right? Ten verses later, Mary would approach Jesus and say the exact same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I want to put those two verses up here on the screen. One of them is Martha and the other one is Mary. And they say the exact same words. They ask the exact same question. They make the exact same statement. If you would not have taken your time. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. So we might expect that Jesus would respond to them in the exact same way because they they say the exact same words. But he doesn't respond to them the same way, does he? Not at all. 
not at all. Like you said, if you put verse 21 and verse 32 side by side, they're the exact same word, word per word, and yet they're like delivered um, by different people. And Jesus responds to them very differently. The way Jesus responds to Martha is through an intellectual dialogue. He doesn't show any emotion, but yet he addresses her through her mind. He gives her a truth. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And after that, in verse, um, was that verse 40, when she says, verse 27, sorry, mm-hmm. um, he, she says, yes, Lord, I believe. So based on the way Jesus addresses her through an intellectual dialogue, she processes that in her head, and then it goes down to her emotion. In contrast to the way um, Mary um, said that to Jesus, Jesus responded very differently to Mary. He does not address her via an intellectual dialogue. He addresses her with a practical question. Where have you laid him? And Mary showed him where Lazarus was laid, and then the famous John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. So the way he addresses Mary was through her emotions, and that's how she processed her pain. They both responded diff- uh, the same way, and yet Jesus addressed them very differently, one through the intellect and one through the emotions. Okay, so why would he do it, Joy? Because they're just uniquely different. Like, if you switch the way um, Jesus responded to the way, let's just say um, the way Jesus responded to Martha was through emotions, I don't think she'll get it because she's a very intellectual person. And if he responded to Mary the way he responded to Martha, I don't think uh, Mary would have like really have gotten what Jesus wanted to convey. But each one is different. Each one is unique. And Jesus honored them in their, in, in their uniqueness. And that's how he addressed each one of them. So here's our last contrast. Martha's a thinker and Mary's a feeler. Martha's intellectual, she's thinking, she's logical, and Mary is, is in touch kind of with her emotions. She's feeling her way through this, and this is why Jesus addresses them differently, even though, just as Joy pointed out, even though they literally say the exact same words to Jesus. We've just built two personality types. Would everyone say thank you to Joy? Thank you, Joy. No, 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 I got it, I got it. So here we have two very different women, two very different personality types, and these two personality types show up in our lives too, don't they? Martha's in our lives tend to be gregarious, vocal, happy, and extroverted. They're the life of the party, they're often leaders, and they're at every ministry event. Martha's tend to be talkers, sometimes blurters. They tend to be highly competent multitaskers, which is what we see Martha doing in the text. They have a goal and they get after it. They have a lot of bandwidth and they're typically independent. This is what we would call a type A personality or a type Martha. Marys, on the other hand, are more reserved. They're more tender. They're more contemplative. Uh, They don't talk much, but when they do, you better listen up because it's usually been stewing in there for a while. They aren't necessarily sad people, but they aren't necessarily overly happy either. At their very best, they tend to have a measured disposition that brings consistency and peace to a lot of situations. Or type B, you've got the Martha type and you've got the Mary type. Let's see if I can help us understand just a little bit more. In terms of communication, Martha's are air horns. Mary's are handwritten letters. In terms of gatherings, Martha's are a New Year's Eve party and Mary's are an afternoon tea. In terms of travel, Martha's are a Ferrari and Mary's are an afternoon stroll. In terms of cookware, Martha's are a microwave and Mary's are a crock pot. 
Now, by a show of hands, as you look up here at these two contrasting personality types up here on the screen, on Har, I'll put it back up there. Are you thinking of anyone that you know in your life, people you know and love, and can you locate them on kind of the Martha side or the Mary side? Anybody know people that are, that clear, throw, throw your hands up if you can find somebody you love in there. Okay, good. How many of you can locate yourself on the Martha side or on the Mary side? Good. How many of you who know me can locate me on the Martha side of the Mary? <laughs> Some people on staff and elders just had a spiritual experience. Yes, Lord. Yes, this is, this is me. I'm a Martha. That's who I am through and through. I'm independent. I'm very, very active. I'm a thinker. I'm strategic. I'm highly productive. I'm an external processor. I'm not a blurter. People have said that of me, but they're wrong. <laughs> I'm not naturally dependent on anyone. I'm, pretty, I'm not naturally receptive to things initially. I'm not naturally a still person. I'm a busy person. I'm definitely not an internal processor, and I'm not particularly emotive. I want us to catch what Jesus is saying here to both Martha's and Mary's. I want us to understand his point, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how to, how to see that happen in our lives. First, Jesus is not saying to either Martha or Mary that the way that God made them is somehow off balance or incomplete. Like, let's, let's, just get, let's just get that out of the way. One of these types is not good and the other bad. They're just types, albeit a little bit generalized, but they're both helpful and needed in the church and valued in the eyes of God. God didn't create one or the other of these and go, oh, I'm good enough. The one is not good and the other bad. Second is Jesus is not saying to Martha, stop serving. Did you catch that? And he also didn't say to Mary, you know what, you probably should get up and do something. He didn't say that either. In fact, in John chapter 12, Joy and I were talking about this. Where's Joy? Did she leave? There she is, Joy. Joy and I were talking because you were sitting there in the, in the first service. We were talking about this this week that in John chapter 12, just after Lazarus is rose from the grave, he's sitting around eating with everybody, which I think is awesome. And Martha is up serving in John chapter 12. She's doing exactly the same thing that she's doing in Luke chapter 10, but Jesus doesn't correct her. See, the serving thing is not the issue. That's not Jesus' primary concern. He's most concerned about her heart. He's most concerned about what's going on inside. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about a lot of things, but you've missed the best thing, the good portion. Same thing with Mary. He's concerned about her heart. So what is Jesus saying? Here's what he's saying, and if, you're, if, you're, if, you got, if you're taking notes, jot this down. He's saying no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter how you're wired, we, each of us, each one, no matter what personality type you are, we've got to choose the good portion. We've got to start with the good portion, rest in the good portion, seek after the good portion, prioritize the good portion, build your life on the good portion, learn to love the good portion, choose. Just as Mary did, and what Jesus says to Martha, your sister has chosen the good portion. Jesus invites us to choose the good portion. So what is the good portion? What is the better meal? What is the best meal that will never leave us hungry? It's time with Jesus. It's learning from Jesus. It's sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's resting in Jesus. Get this now. The good portion is not busyness, and ministry activity for the kingdom, 
doing stuff. The good portion that will never be taken away is just our time with Jesus. Now, church people, you might immediately think that the good portion, sitting with Jesus, time with Jesus, rest in Jesus, is, is a personal devotional life. We, we have church language for this, quiet times, which is always a creepy word for me. Quiet times, like time out, or like devotions, or we, devos, I heard people call it devos, I can do my devos. As far as I'm concerned, devo is saying whip it. That's, that's what devo is, okay? <laughs> So we might think of that initially, and and those aren't bad. A a time with Jesus, personal Bible study and prayer aren't bad. In fact, they're really good things. Joy teaches classes on that here at Bayview Glen. In August, when Sundar Christian is here preaching in August, he's going to talk about how to create a space for yourself and do kind of a personal devotional. It's going to be great because those things are really, really good things. But there's so much more than that here in this passage. Jesus is inviting us to a life of rest in him. He's inviting us to a life that isn't anxious, a life that isn't distracted, a life that isn't stressed, a life that's marked by joy and stillness. It's not just a personal devotional time, although that may be part of it. It's a complete life rhythm that begins with the good portion, and that's him. Finds its roots in the good portion, is founded in the good portion in the person of Jesus Christ. So if that's the encouragement and that's the exhortation, both to Martha types and to Mary types, let's talk about how we build a life that sets us on that trajectory. In our fast-paced drive-through, purchase on credit, order it now, or on Amazon, and same-day shipping kind of world, how do we create a pace that grounds us in Christ and brings us peace? How do we create a life that gives us access to the good portion where we're sitting at the feet of Jesus? I jotted down four things that are really critical for me. There's probably a thousand of them. There's a lot of guys that have done work on this. Uh, John Ortberg and Dallas Willard and um, Whitney, Donald Whitney, others that have done a lot of work on spiritual development and spiritual formation. These are just four quick things for me that I wrote down that help me choose the good portion. I hope they help you too. Number one, first things first. Jot that down if you're taking notes. First things first. We're going to talk about what it means to place first things first. Before we do that, I want to read you an extended quote from C.S. Lewis. You're going to have to dial your brains in and stick with me. You know I love C.S. Lewis so much. But he talks about what happens when we take second things and put them in the first place. Just like Martha did. She, She moves serving Jesus into a first place category and things kind of fell apart. So listen to what C.S. Lewis says about putting first things first and second things second. And what happens when we when we twist that around. The first part is really funny. The woman who makes a dog the center of her life loses, in the end, not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. The man who makes alcohol his chief good loses not only his job, but his palate and all power of enjoying the earlier and only pleasurable levels of intoxication. It's a glorious thing to feel for a moment or two that the whole meaning of the universe is summed up in one woman. Glorious so long as other duties and pleasures keep tearing you away from her. But clear the decks and arrange your life that you'll have nothing to do but contemplate her. And what happens? 
It's a rhetorical question. Life falls apart. C.S. Lewis goes on. Of course, this law has been discovered before, but it will stand rediscovery. It may be stated as follows. Every preference of a small good to a great, of a partial good to a total good, involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. In our language today, C.S. Lewis writes this, you can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. Put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both first and second things. Martha's sin is not the sin of service or activity. Martha's sin is placing a second thing over a first thing. She's placing serving Jesus over being with Jesus. The second thing isn't bad. The second thing is good. Serving Jesus is good, but it's not the best thing. It's not the good portion. It's not the first thing. It's a second thing. And again, her service in John 12, Jesus didn't correct her, but the moment that she stopped focusing on Jesus in Luke chapter 10, and she made her service the first thing, she made something other than him, him alone, not serving him, him. When she made that the focus of her heart and attention, her perspective became very self-centered. She put a second thing in the first place, and she lost both in the process. Now, for some of you, this might mean putting first things first over the course of your day. For me, because I'm a lot like Martha, I can get anxious and troubled about many things. And I know that when I'm anxious and troubled, by the way, a second thing has become a first thing. So I have to start my day by putting first things first. I want to tell you how I do that, and if this helps you, great. This is what I do. Every day for me is about the same. It starts the exact same way. I typically don't set an alarm clock. On occasion I do, but I have a a dog and a seven-month-old. Somebody's going to wake me up, okay? So I get up and I go downstairs and I feed my dog and I make Amy coffee and I start um, making Kaya's food. And then Amy typically gets after that, she goes in and gets Kaya and brings her downstairs and puts her in the, what's the thing you feed the babies in? The high chair. Sorry. Um, so we, we kind of get their day started, and I get coffee and breakfast for them, and I pray for them and tell them I love them, and then I leave. I'm headed to work, and I make calls on the way in, typically. Uh, some of you uh, in this room right now are the people I call just about every morning. And then I pull into my office. I park. I come in, and I close my office door, and I sit, and I put first things first. Uh, one of the things that I do is I do that in my office really, really regularly. It's the same spot for me all the time. That might help you a little bit. Choose a chair in your house. If you have an office, you can close the door and just, you know, be. As you get up in the morning and you get in the car to go to work and your, you know, your car is just warming up, just, just take a deep breath. Same place all the time. It can be very helpful. The second thing I do is I try to eliminate distractions in that moment. The way that I eliminate distractions, because I'm like Martha and I become busy and anxious and troubled about many things, I don't do this. Don't be distracted, don't be distracted, don't be distracted. That's like, ooh, a butterfly, and I'm distracted. You know, I, that's, that's how it works. 
So the way that I do that is I have a note-taking uh, app on my phone. Some of you prefer pen and paper. You can do pen and paper too. And so when those things, those tasks, that serving Jesus, those ministry things, the, the tasks over the day come to my head, I can write them down and they're out of my head and they can be there for a moment. Get distractions out of the way. And then the last thing I do is I just sit at the feet of Jesus. I don't, I don't do like a Bible study. I do that other times. I, I, don't, I don't come to Jesus and pray in like the traditional way where like I'm gonna confess my sin, I'm gonna adore God, I'm gonna thank him, I'm gonna bring my needs before him and all that stuff. I, I don't do any of that stuff. I just sit and I say, oh Jesus, I wanna make you first today. Just spend my time with you. For some of you, that might be helpful, putting first things first over the course of your day. For some of you, it might mean just kind of a reordering of your private world a little bit. A reordering of your mental world, a reordering of the way that you manage your time in order to put first things first. I don't know what it means for you, that's just what it means for me. And I would encourage you, if you want to spend time with the good portion, living a life of stillness, living a life of easiness, quiet and peace, where you're not anxious or troubled about all these things, start by putting first things first. Number two, stop saying should. Like literally eliminate it from your vocabulary. Stop saying the word should. I want to unpack this for us a little bit, but I hopefully, hopefully as we unpack it, this kind of just quick three-word encouragement will, will remind you of, of what we're talking about here. Recall the story. When Martha and Mary are in their home and Jesus is with them in their home, Martha is serving, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She comes to Jesus and says, don't you care and tell my sister to help me. Why? Because she should be doing that. She places an expectation on her sister who is wired very differently than her. She places an expectation on her that she should be behaving like she is. But expectations, especially when they come from others, don't help us at all. And when we place unrealistic expectations on others, when we say should, it begins to erode and eat away at that good portion that we desire as the first thing in our lives. For me, just me personally, when I start saying that word should out loud or in my mind, it's a warning sign that I'm not enjoying the good portion. Just like Martha, right? She's serving. She's anxious about many things. John chapter 12, she's fine. Nobody's panicked. It's great. But here, she's anxious and troubled, and she says she should be, it should have been a warning sign. Should have. <laughs> should have been a warning sign for Martha when she expects someone else to behave like she is. And this is difficult because there are a lot of Christian books out there, FYI, that don't talk about what Jesus has done, but they talk about what you should do. I read this this week. I thought it was brilliant. The amount of shoulds in a person's life is inversely proportional to the peace and joy they experience. This is about expectations, and especially Christians. We do this. We do great at this one, telling people they should do this, and you should do that, and you shouldn't do that, and you should do that. Marthas. I want to be straight with you because I'm a Martha type, and I just want to be real. Just, you know, I, can just, I can just come at it direct. Stop. Stop it. Stop saying that to other people. Stop thinking it of other people. Should? Nothing. 
you behave, act, live in your wheelhouse. You're active, you're a producer, that's great, that's awesome. Eliminate that should from your vocabulary. And if you start to say it, this is not a, you know, I should probably change my attitude. No, what needs to happen is enjoy the good portion. It should be a red flag for you. It should be a flare that says, I've missed it, just like Martha did. Look, 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 you're anxious and troubled about many things. The service is fine, but you didn't choose the right meal. It should be a red flag for us that are kind of the Martha type. For the Mary type, because I have been married to one for almost 10 years. <laughs> I want to be, um, respond to you maybe a little bit differently than I responded to the Martha types, because Jesus responded differently to Martha and Mary in the text. Here's what I personally see Mary types doing all the time. Mary types, typically, that word should, they don't say it to others, they, they typically say it to themselves. I should be more like that. I should serve more. I should give more. I should be more active. I should have a greater bandwidth than I do. I should, I should be around people more. I should be the life of the party. I should, should, should. Can I just, just clue you in on something? It's a lie from the pit of hell. God wired you just how he wanted you. If you're contemplative, if you're reflective, if you're a quieter spirit, that is awesome. That's how God designed you. So when you hear yourself saying that word should, just say, you know what? That's not God's truth. That's not God's truth. That's not how Jesus designed you. Just a little bit of a side note. Um, sometimes I see Mary types doing this and they expect themselves and they say should to themselves. Uh, that they should be more like Martha's because the Martha type tends to get a little more attention. They tend to get a little more accolades. Like the Mary type that's quiet and reflective sitting at the feet of Jesus, you know, there's not a lot of people going, wow, that's awesome. But the Martha type who's high capacity or lots of bandwidth and serving all the time and moving and busy all the time, people say, well, isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? You know why the world works that way? Because of Genesis 3. Because the world is messed up because of sin. It's, it's screwed up because our priorities are off kilter. In God's economy, in an eternal perspective, Mary has chosen what? The good portion. Martha types, we can learn from you, Mary types, to sit and be still before the feet of Jesus. Let's just get that word should out of here. Number three, set boundaries. Set boundaries in your life, deliberately under-program, create space, rest. We kind of run ourselves ragged in this world a little bit, and we're always busy and anxious and troubled about many things, like the Martha type. You know that person that says, uh, says to you, what are you up to on Saturday? And you say, nothing. And they say, cool, then you're available. And you say, yeah, I guess I am. Change that answer. You're not available. Block out in your calendar. And then write in that word, and under subject of this appointment, nothing. <laughs> that's what you're doing, and, that's the, and you did that on purpose. Scheduled nothing. I had a couple people come up to me after the first service and go, that's my favorite day. <laughs> I have to get out of my pajamas. 
hygiene out the window. That's not what you do on the nothing day. Brush your teeth, but still. You know why you do that? Because you need time at the feet of Jesus, experiencing the good portion, resting in him. In fact, for some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do this afternoon is go home and take a nap. By the way, this is one of the many reasons, we, we do this for a lot of reasons, one of the many reasons we kind of under-program a little bit here at Bayview Glen. We're not running ministry activities all the time because that's, that's good, but that's not the best. The best, the good portion, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha types like me, those boundaries for you are probably going to be time boundaries. You know, we have, a, we have a tendency to just kind of, when Amy and I even, when we go back to Phoenix, it's like I put appointments on top of appointments on top of appointments, and I can just do that. That's not how Amy works. So I've got to set time boundaries. And not only is it not how, how she works, check it, it's not best for me. So I've got to put boundaries on my time. Ministry, even being a pastor, like, like, you know, I never get to the end of a day or end of a week and, did I, and, and say to myself, you know, I did all the ministry there is to do. I did it all. All the ministry is done. It's never done. There's always something else. Some of you who are in ministry vocationally or volunteer a ton, you know this just as well as I do. It's never, ever done. We've got to set boundaries on our time and say, you know what? I have a Sabbath. I have a time to rest. I've set aside time just to sit at the feet of Jesus. Or even mental boundaries. Martha types, we've got to set mental boundaries. You know, because you've got about 19 plates spinning in your head, Martha types, and they're distracting you and they're pulling you away. And you may be thinking to yourself, like, I don't necessarily feel that way that I've got 19 plates spinning in my head. You know who does feel that way? The Marys in your life. Because when they're talking to you and you just kind of go off somewhere mentally and they don't know where you went to, They know that you're spinning 19 plates in your head. You're anxious and troubled about many things. Set boundaries in your brain. I have this conversation with Amy all the time. We just be talking about whatever. We're just talking. And she'll go, where'd you just go? Like, no, I'm right here. No, mentally. Oh, I don't know. I don't know where I went mentally. I've got so many things going on in my head. That's what Martha types tend to do. Mary types, these boundaries for you, most of the time, my, this is my kind of experience, most of the time they're going to be emotional boundaries. Most of the time they're going to be emotional boundaries because people tend to encroach upon your emotional health, not on purpose. They're not being rude. They're not being lame. Sometimes they are, but most of the time they're not. They're not trying to encroach on your emotional boundaries, but they do because they say should. You should be more like this. Mary types, can I just invite you to do this? Just say, you know, I'm just not going to do that. I had a friend tell me one time, he said, you know what's wrong with the world? I said, what's wrong with the world? He said, we don't have enough people willing to say these words. That's not a good idea, so I'm not going to do that. That's what's wrong with the world. Sometimes Mary's, I don't know if that's what's wrong with the world, but I think it's good. Sometimes Mary's for you when people come and expect you to do things and expect you to kind of run at a pace that's not comfortable and expect you to kind of burn the candle at both ends and expect you to do even stuff that's good, ministry stuff, uh, uh, church work stuff, volunteer stuff. You know what, you know, just let me invite you to say those words. That's not a good idea, so I'm not going to do that. Mary types, I know that stings for you a little bit because I know you want to, 
but choose the good portion, choose the best portion, and live out of that place. You still serve, you still engage, you still participate, but you got to sit at the feet of Jesus and set those boundaries for yourself. Martha type, same way. Number four, and we'll be done. Know your weaknesses. Know your weaknesses. As I read this passage this week, like I said, it read me right back. Martha's, we tend towards a lot of busyness. We tend towards stress and anxiety. I, I get uh, massage therapy every now and then. The massage therapist will, I guess it's called your masseter muscle on your jaw, right? And, and the massage therapist will rub on my jaw. And, and, and they ask me, do you grind your teeth at night? Well, why do you ask? Because your masseter is really, really tight. And I say, no, I don't grind my teeth at night. I grind my teeth. All the time. It's not just at night. 24-7, 365. That's what I do. Stress and anxiety because I'm a Martha type. Martha types, we tend towards a works-based holiness model. I'm doing a lot, so I'm good. Uh, we, t- we tend towards placing expectations on others to behave like us, to act like us, to think like us, to value the things we, you should do this. Tell, especially, you can even go to God with it, just like Martha did. Would you tell them to stop acting that way? So it's a weakness that, that Martha types our virtues, uh, greatest virtues, can become our greatest vice. Marys. Marys tend a little bit towards the comparison game sometimes. Again, because this world is messed up and screwed up. And you look at a Martha and you go, I should be doing more. You see it? You hear it? Should. And I compare myself to somebody else. Mary types tend towards a little bit of discontentment. You know what? This is not how I'm supposed to be wired. I need to be able to do more, be more, serve more, whatever. Tend towards jealousy a little bit. Tend towards a preoccupation with the expectations of others. People say should, 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 and they take that upon themselves and they get preoccupied with others' expectations. Friends, here's the deal. When that stuff happens, Martha's stress, anxiety, you know, expectations on others, Mary's jealousy, discontentment, those types of things, please understand that, those, that the way you fix that stuff is by enjoying the good portion. That's the way that gets fixed. It doesn't get fixed by saying, stop having expectations of others, stop being stressed. Every time I tell myself to stop being stressed, I get more stressed because it never works. Like, that's, that's not how it works. Or for Mary type, stop being jealous, stop being discontent. That's not, that's not how that works. How it works is you say, I'm going to enjoy the good portion. I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to bring stillness and quiet back to my life and just enjoy the good portion first. First things first. That's how that, get, that gets fixed. I'll tell you one story and then I'll close with a scripture and then we're going to sing one more song together. Um, last Monday, Amy and I uh, went on a date in the afternoon. This is what you do when you have a seven-month-old. Your dates are in the afternoon. So... Um, my parents were in town, so they were watching Kaya for us, and they said, yo, you guys go on a date. And so we went and saw Cinderella as a matinee, and uh, did you see the Cinderella? Yeah, it turns out happy at the end, always does. And so um, I thought it was good. I, I liked it. I, um, I wanted to see Fast and the Furious 12, but um, <laughs> Amy didn't want to see that. So, so we saw Cinderella, and then we went and got a, a cappuccino afterwards and just sat at Starbucks. And cappuccinos, caffeine, great for Martha types. It just really takes the edge off our stress and anxiety. It's perfect. So, 
So we kind of hustled out of the house to go see this movie, and we're, we're kind of, you know, we, I, I was home late from the gym, and so uh, we, we ran out of the house, and which is fine for me because I'm a Martha type, and I just stack things on top of each other, and that's fine. But uh, Amy, I could tell, brought her a little bit of stress, and I could tell kind of, you know, her, you know, kind of went up a little bit. And so we got to the movie, and we sat at the movie, and uh, we, after the movie, went to Starbucks, sat down, and, and had a cup of coffee, and I asked her, I said, hey, how you doing, babe? And I asked her how she's doing every now, every now and then. It's great. It's helpful in our marriage. And so let, let's rewind a little bit before this date. Um, before this date, we had had house guests kind of stacked on top of each other at our house. They're fantastic. We love them, but they're house guests. You understand what I'm saying? You know, that's what happens, right? And then ministry life and work life for me was just kind of firing on all cylinders. We're coming up on Easter, which is like the busiest time of year. Um, this, is, this is pastoral March Madness right now. It's just craziness. We're trying to make these hires, which, I mean, all these different kinds of things. I got committees and elder boards and all that stuff. And it's great for me. I, I love it because I love stacking things on top of each other, you know, anxious and troubled about many things. But that's what kind of led up to this date. We go on this date, and we go to Cinderella, and then we go to Starbucks. And I asked Amy, I said, how you doing, babe? And this was her answer. I think things are just too busy. <laughs> you know, and some of you, you know, you've had that conversation with your spouse, haven't you? Jonathan, don't lie to me. I know she's sitting right there, but nod your head. You guys, you're married 40 years now, right? 30? 30? 27. I was close. So you've had, you've had that conversation more times than I have. Only once, only once, and then you stop asking how she was doing. Um, so we had, this, we had this conversation at Starbucks, and listen, listen, so Amy's like, I think we should just, it's too busy, you know? And I said, you know what you should do? <laughs> I mean, both of us, here's the deal. Just because she responds in an emotional way doesn't, doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. It's, you know, and for me, saying should to somebody, you know what you should do? And here's, I'm going to fix it. God, you fix it. You know what it was? It was, you know what, babe, here's the deal. We need stillness, don't we? We need to go back to enjoying the good portion and, 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 and live our marriage out of that space. Live our ministry out of that space. I mean, it's, it's not, you guys understand that, that these things in our life, marriage and ministry and work, these are all very, very good things, but they're pillars on a foundation called Jesus, enjoying him, being with him, experiencing the good portion, resting in him. Put first things first, create some boundaries, stop saying should, and, and, and enjoy the best meal. And live from that space. Matthew chapter 11, as the band comes back up to lead us in one last song here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Hear the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who, are, all, all who labor and are heavy laden. He's talking to me. He's talking to Martha. Perhaps he's talking to you. And I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We take a light yoke, we take an easy yoke, and guess what? When you put a yoke on, you actually do some plowing. You get productive. But you produce and serve out of a space of rest and quiet before the Lord.
I asked these guys to conclude with one song today. It's a song called, Lord, I Need You. Oh, I need you every hour I need you. So as we declare our dependency upon the Lord, as we declare the goodness of the best portion, let's release our stress and anxiety and just enjoy him as we sing together. Let's stand together.